at first, if you're a woman, I'll tell you what you do. You laugh that off. You're like, ha ha ha. At a certain point, you're like, oh my God, I'm really fucking scared for my life. Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the podcast where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes, and instead, get to know the lesser-known lives and real-life bad behavior of some of history's most notable people. Hold on. Before we go any further, Mm -hmm. exciting news. Oh my gosh, yes. So we were, were a finalist for Discover Pods. Best History Podcast of 2020. Yes. Yes. There is a link in the show notes, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we can do that. Oh, yeah. We can. It's a big world. We can do anything. Link in the show notes. Please go vote. Link in the show notes. Link on our social media. Please, please, please go vote. Um, it is the winner is based on public votes. And we're up against podcasts that have huge followerships. But I really think we have the most enthusiastic fan base. I would like to think so, too. So please go vote. Um, Don't stuff the ballot box because we'll get disqualified, but encourage your friends to vote. Yes. Yes. And in general, if you live in the United States, I suppose you should vote for other things, too, this week. But whatever. Right. If you want to vote for something so much less consequential than the federal government. (laughs) Yes. But you want to make us feel really, really good. This is a two-for-one opportunity to take 45 seconds, literally 45 seconds, your name, your email address, and then click Meet Your Heroes when you get to the history section and submit. That's it. That's all it is. That's all it is. Yay. Yeah, Yeah. please. Anyway, sorry. Uh, And this week we have a theme. We do. Yeah, a little forethought. We're not usually this put together. Yeah, uh, we were going to do somebody a lot more generic, I guess, but... Realized, changed our minds. No, we are going to go with the thing everybody's talking about this week, which is that the world is horrifying and American political culture is horrifying. So why not do the master of horror, Mr. Alfred Hitchcock? Love it. Also, like Halloween, dead people, horror. It's just, you know, the oh, greatest hits. I hadn't thought about that. That's a happy coincidence, too. Mm-hmm. A mashup. Yeah. Speaking of Halloween, are you trick-or-treating? Yes. Yes, I am. Right. By that, I mean I am tricking myself into thinking I'm not going to eat all of the treats we've bought. Oh, okay. Great. You know what? If ever there were a time <laughs> where calories don't count, nothing matters, it's this week. Yeah. Yeah. It's e- perfect. For eat it. whatever you want. I mean, really, you and I have to essentially put together like trick-or-treating in our house for our child. Yeah. Scavenger hunt. Yeah. Like hiding behind every single door will be like a stuffed animal with a treat. Oh, yeah. That's true. Today, our kid, so my parents bought our child a llama that twerks. Yes, yes, it does. Yes. And today, our child brought it to me and said, hey, look, twerk or treat. (laughs) And I thought that was very clever. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so less llama, more avian terror. Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, avian terror. And this we're not talking about Moira Rose, avian terror. <laughs> oh, if only, if only. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about Alfred Hitchcock, except that I've never seen a single movie because I don't do scary movies. That's true. That's true. You don't. The fact that you said you don't do scary movies, though, means you at least know he does scary movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else? You Can you think of what those movies are? 
I can name one movie. Birds. Isn't that, that's Alfred Hitchcock? The Birds? The Birds, yes. The Birds. Right. The Birds. And, ooh, that's it. Okay, okay. Well, then we got we got a place to go. So the year, 1899, and in the upstairs apartment of a little grocery store in East London is born Alfred Joseph Hitchcock. His parents leased the grocery store downstairs. I'm glad they went upstairs to have the baby. Yeah, yeah. Definitely preferable. Mm-hmm. Um, less butcher paper, unfortunately. But... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but... Probably cleaner. From a young age, uh, Alfred is a weird kid. That's unsurprising <laughs> to me. Uh, as a kid, uh, he said he never had any playmates ever. Again, shocked. Yeah. He was generally like a good follow the rules kid, but his parents were still very weirdly strict. So like uh, when he's five... His father hands him a note and says, hey, bring this down to the police station. Uh Uh-oh. So he walks down to the police station, his five-year-old, right? Mm -hmm. Hands it to the police officer. The police officer reads the note and then immediately grabs Alfred by the hand, drags him to a jail cell, puts him inside, and locks the door and walks away. What? A five-year-old. Okay. Ten minutes later, police officer comes back. Opens the door and says, this is what happens to naughty boys. Oh, my God. And sends him home. And by the way, at the request of his father, if that wasn't clear. The note was that, could you please lock my five-year-old up and tell him naughty boys go to jail? Yeah, yeah. The trauma runs deep in this one. Oh, yes. It gets better, though. Also, five-year-olds have no sense of time. Like, ten minutes, the ten minutes, they're... Essentially puppies. That could be all day. They yes, don't know. No idea. And especially if you don't know how long it's going to last. Like, right. For 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes of fear that you're there forever. Right. That leaves a mark. From this point on, apparently for the rest of his life, Hitchcock is afraid of police. And he could have had any other number of reasons to be afraid <laughs> of police. But instead, it was this deep trauma. In fact, so much so that he he refused to learn how to drive throughout his entire life because he was afraid he would either get pulled over or get a parking ticket and have to interact with the police officer. Wow. Yes. That's, wow. That's how deep this runs. His other, by the way, just trivia, his other fear, he mm-hmm. had two fears. His other fear uh, was eggs. Why? <laughs> he, is quote, he, he was quoted as saying uh, he was terrified of them and revolted. He's like, blood is like red and and pops and yellow of a yolk is gooey and disgusting. Like, who could imagine possibly eating that and even having it near them? He's like, it's too, it's too fucking gross. No eggs. The so, birds part is fine. Just yeah. the eggs part, not <laughs> well, I mean, like, that could be the reason he ended up with the <laughs> birds. You never know. It is where they come from. Sure. But terrified of eggs. Anyway, in addition to those phobias and his father's interesting parenting style, his mother uh, was probably equally unorthodox. Every night from the age of like four or five on until like he was in a teenager. Mm-hmm. He, she would call Alfred into her room and she would be laying in bed and he would have to come stand at the foot of her bed and then he would have to do what he called his, quote, evening confessions. Oh, God. Where he spent the next like five or ten minutes like recounting all of the bad things he did that day. And Were then, they religious? Is uh, this like a religious practice? This or is, is this not just a religious like a... thing. No. Like Catholics do confession to a priest, but not sure. to a parent. Right? Like this is just like them being really weird. Okay. 
Okay, and they're like professional grocers. Yes. Who psychologically torment their child, only child, other children? Don't know. Okay, this child, if we've learned anything about famous heroes on this podcast, it's that the recipe for chaos is... Deep-seated, unresolved issues. With their parents. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really diplomatic way to phrase that, because I was about to say (laughs) having really fucked up parents. (laughs) Yes. Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. As he gets older, he's pretty good at school. At first, he thinks he wants to be an engineer. Eventually, he tries his hand at creative writing. Mm. And then, uh, as a young adult, gets hired on as a low-level and then eventually an assistant director in London movies. Okay. He's making movies regularly as part of this job in London film. He's learning the business. He's learning the craft. And uh, 1926, at the age of 27, he meets Alma Reville, and they get married. They stay married his entire life. In general, their marriage is pretty good. In fact, uh, the worst thing you could probably say about it is that he almost doesn't give her enough credit for how critical to his success she's going to end up being. So they were partners professionally their entire lives. Um, She was an editor, a writer for him. Uh, She was very good at continuity. So she would, she caught several embarrassing mistakes he left in his film before they went out and like saved him from looking much worse. Eventually in speeches, he would thank her. He's like the four most important people in my life were my editor, my writer, the mother to my children and my cook. And and they're all the same person. (laughs) They all walk into a bar. (laughs) Yeah, right? And it was all her, And she orders, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, The worst thing I could find him on record saying about her is that two years later, when he's 29, 1928, and she's pregnant with their first kid, he says, I hate pregnant women. And when someone says why, he says, because they have children. (laughs) She didn't get that way on her own, buddy. No. Uh, No, but yeah, so they're generally good collaborators. He is beginning to see some success as an assistant director in London, and he uh, becomes a director, and uh, he starts becoming more successful. So this is when he realizes that he really likes, uh, quote-unquote, practical jokes. Okay. But practical jokes is generally usually just code for being a dick to people that work for him. Okay. In his language. Yes. Okay. This is not like George Clooney saran wrapping the toilet of Brad Pitt practical jokes. This is like... Yeah, no. This is, I'm the director, you're working for me, and I'm going to torment you. So, for example, one of his earliest ones, uh, film Rebecca, his leading lady, he decides he's going to send a horse to her dressing room. Uh, and when asked why, he said, quote, uh, just to see how she would react. Not well. No, no, not at all. Just um, a horse? Just knock, knock. Here's a horse. Yep. <laughs> Another time, for example, he ruined an actor's suit accidentally. And the actor was like, you got to replace this. And he's like, no, I'm not going to replace it. Stop acting like a baby. And the actor got really pissed. So instead, Hitchcock replaced it with a suit from the exact same store in a baby size. Oh, no. Send him an infant suit, yeah. <laughs> and then it started to escalate where by the film 39 Steps, he handcuffs two of his actors together for one of these scenes. And then the leading man, the leading lady, then he pretends to lose the key for oh. like six hours. Uh-oh. 
Yeah, and it's the first day they met, and they're just like handcuffed together. So he is calling these practical jokes, but people who worked with him were like, this was just sadistic at this point. Almost like being locked in a jail cell for 10 minutes when you're five. You know, almost like that. Mm-hmm. But he isn't very famous or very powerful. He's moderately successful. But what you start to see is that the more success he gets, the worse he can treat other people and the more he begins to take advantage of that. Oh, that's how all power works, right? Yeah. That's that power, empathy, inverse relationship. And he he cranks it to the max. Creates a whole genre on it, basically, right? <laughs> that he does. <laughs> At this stage, he is successful enough to get noticed by one of the most famous Hollywood producers of the time, Selznick. So this is 1939, and Selznick convinces him to come to Hollywood. So the producer's job, right, is to put up the money, and they basically hire the directors and all the creative people. He got out of London just in time. Yes, he did. He did. Yikes. Uh, He did get out of London just in time, and it serves him well. His Rebecca film and another one, Foreign Correspondent, that he puts out the same year, Mm -hmm. uh, both get uh, nominated for Best Picture the same year. Wow. He's one of only 10 directors to ever do that, and his success just kind of keeps rolling. Um, he start. He doesn't really love working with Selznick once he gets there. Selznick is like kind of micromanagey, but he puts up with it. One weird side note at this time, because the war is going on, at one point Hitchcock decides he wants to do a movie about atomic bombs and uranium. And he goes to talk to a scientist and he's like, hey, do you know anything? They haven't actually ever existed before, but do you think atomic bombs could work with uranium and Somebody tried to steal it, and the scientist is like, ha, 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 no, that's totally impossible. That's fiction. Never never could happen. Definitely not a classified project <laughs> at the you know desert. Um, Hitchcock walks away, and the FBI trails him for like six months because they think he's actually trying to steal secrets. Oh, wow. Um, but he was not. He was just trying to get a good movie. Didn't end up making it. He is successful enough with his other films that he continues to treat his actors worse and worse and like develop a reputation. This is the time when he's quoted as saying actors are cattle. Yikes. Which he later, he's people ask him about that quote and he says, no, no, I didn't say that. I said actors should be treated like cattle. Wow. Yes, just to be clear. And and he does. He treats his actors like cattle. Intention versus impact here. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look alive, folks. He does, he, he starts to escalate his quote unquote pranks by finding out through casting interviews what people's greatest phobias are. Sure. Like, so one actress said spiders, and so he gave her a gift on her first day of filming, which was a giant box of spiders. Real spiders? Yes. <gasps> um, like, just to, just to fuck with her. For no other reason. And he can, because now he's starting to be a big-time Hollywood director, and he's pretty successful. Okay. His biggest tension is with Selznick. Selznick, like, is frequently running out of money, and he's like... Maybe because Hitchcock's spending it all on fucking spiders. <laughs> yes. The spider boxes, <laughs> man, they add up. Um, he smells like he's like trying to jump in and like micromanage the editing. And he's like changing the music. And then he will mess with the production dates. And then he will change the casting. And Hitchcock is just like fed up with this. So they had a four-movie deal. They don't even finish it. The third one's such a disaster that they don't even make a fourth film together. Mm. But Hitchcock has an idea. So after he gets out of this deal, Hitchcock's next movie is Rear Window. And Selznick's name was David O. Selznick. So Hitchcock writes the villain for Rear Window as Roger O. Thornhill. Okay. And casts 
somebody who does not have a ton of experience, but who looks exactly like David Selznick, then gives him the exact same glasses that Selznick always wore. And so basically, in all of Hollywood, he just, anybody who actually knew the guy is like, the whole movie's a giant middle finger to his sperm partner, right? Sure. Are, have they moved into, like, psychological drama, horror, thriller movies at this point? Or is this still kind of... Oh, no. Yeah. So it's, he has started in horror all the way back in London. And Rear Window is, like, one of the classics. So he, this is, like, a murder movie. And this is the guy that he wants to associate with this producer forever. Yikes. By 1954, he is reaching kind of the peak of his success. So he's made Rear Window. He's made Vertigo. He then makes Psycho, Mm. which is his most financially successful film ever. I had totally forgotten that Hitchcock made Psycho. Yes. Obviously. Yes. And so Psycho is, he he fronts the money. He fronts 60% of it because off of his success of his prior films. Wow. And basically negotiates for 60% of the profits. Huge. Which ends up making him $15 million dollars. Equivalent of $100 million today. Oh, wow. Yeah. You didn't even let me guess. <laughs> That's so rude. Sorry. I wouldn't have guessed $100 million just to spite you, but okay. Sure. Fair enough. He is just making an incredible amount of money. One indicator of how successful he's become is how he's treating his employees. Of course. So on the set, as an example, he dared a cameraman nope. to stay overnight in the studio by himself, Mm-mm. handcuffed to a camera. No, thank you. He bet him like a hundred bucks. And then he... And the camera guy said, I can do it and agreed. Wow. Okay. And then did he pay other people like 200 bucks to just psychologically torment this cameraman all night? It's worse. Oh, he, no. As he was leaving, he said, good luck and handed the cameraman uh, a bottle of brandy. Oh, God. Yeah. And the cameraman was like, thanks. Appreciate it. Hitchcock had spiked it with laxatives. No. So when he was handcuffed there, it wasn't like a little... It's like these big, gigantic rolling cameras that you could not move on your own. So they come in the next morning, and this guy is just like laying in this huge pile of shit all around himself. no. And Hitchcock thinks it is hilarious. How mortifying. Yes. Does this cameraman like stick around or is that like his last day on set? Because I would be like, bye. I mean, if that's your job, I don't know. I don't know what call you make there. Do you show back up the next day? Oh, my God. Another example of this is that there's a corpse in Psycho. A real one? No, in the movie. There's a there's a movie corpse. How do you make it just like a mannequin that looks like a corpse? Yes. And he is trying to pick which one he thinks is scariest. Okay. And he decides his criteria is going to be he's going to leave them in the actress's dressing rooms at unexpected times. Oh, my God. And just judge by how loud they're screaming which one he should use. (gasps) And he picks a pretty gnarly one. I don't know if you've seen Psycho, but it's... Of course you haven't. We have very clearly established (laughs) it. No, I have not seen Psycho. Yeah, it's like a rotting corpse and... uh, It's gross. Anyway, this is how he's treating people because he's very successful now and he does not give a shit. Okay. At this level of success in his life, Mm -hmm. this is when he meets a single mother who's a model named Tippi Hedren. Yes. She at the time was trying to get modeling gigs, but uh, at 31, she was starting to get less than she previously did in her 20s. Mm -hmm. That's that's how it works. Yeah. He finds her Mm -hmm. and he's like, I'm going to make you a star. He does say that. And he offers her a seven-year contract Wow! for $500 a week. Okay. Which in today's money is? 
Ooh, fast math, three thousand dollars a week. Not bad, forty three hundred. So okay. four thousand three hundred. Okay. So per year, that's like two hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year. It is, yeah. In today's money. What does she have to do in exchange for this? Just be in movies. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. He's like, just be in movies. Why? Why her? She didn't have to take an acting test. He just saw her and was like, I want you to be in my movies. I'm going to pay you for seven years, quarter million dollars a year. And then she's like, do you care if I can act? He's like, no. <laughs> but again, what's the catch? Well, it may be that he just had a sense that she was going to be an incredible actress. That doesn't feel like that would be it. Okay, so he hands her, when he's offering the job, he hands her this little brooch in this little box, and it's three birds on a pin. Okay. He's like, this is your movie. And she's like, amazing. She shows up. In advance, he tells the other crew and cast members not to talk with her or to socialize with her at all. Right. Completely isolate her. Okay. And he begins to tell her on set... How obsessed he is with her. Uh-oh. Yeah. He says things like, I'm obsessed with you. That would do it. And? Not a lot of gray area there. No, no. At first, if you're a woman, I'll tell you what you do. You laugh that off. You're like, ha, ha, ha. At a certain point, you're like, oh, my God, I'm really fucking scared for my life. Yes. So he continues to say how obsessed he is with her. Oh. And to touch her on set. Don't do that. Just like put his hand on her. And she is like, no, thank you. And (laughs) makes it very clear and tries to keep acting. But it persists. They're in a limo and they pull up to a restaurant and he leans over, throws himself on her, holds her down and tries to kiss her on the mouth. And she just like shoves him off of her. That's assault. Yes. He tries to sexually assault her. Yes. Attempted sexual assault or a sexual, Mm -hmm. it it is sexual assault. It's not attempted. Yes. Sexual assault. She pushes him off, gets out of the car and he's pissed. Sure. So the next day they're filming a scene in the birds where there's supposed to be birds who are like pecking on a phone booth. He told her it was shatterproof glass, but then he goes over and he whispers to the guy who's actually operating the mechanical birds. They start filming, and the bird just, like, fucking jams through the glass, shatters, and, like, shatters all over her through the oh, roof. no. And so she has, like, she's picking shards of glass out of her hair and clothes for the next couple hours after that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and she's like, it's because she spurned him, right? Like, she was like, yeah. don't sexual assault me. And he was like, no. So I'm going to cover you in broken glass. Do you have any idea how many of the birds in the birds were mechanical? Oh, uh, not as many as she expected. Right. Because it's like a lot of them are real birds, right? Yes. Oh, and <laughs> we're going to get to this too. Oh, yes. okay. Because okay. after this, where just the mechanical birds shatter this glass, mm-hmm. he starts to, he continues this behavior and he tells her things like, I love you. No. I thought at the beginning of this podcast, you were like, he had a good marriage. The only thing I could find is that he insulted his wife once. It seems like he's insulting his wife a lot by... Trying to have a forcible relationship with this other woman. This is what you call the Hitchcock twist. Oh, okay. Yeah. It turns out that one of the actual issues underlying this Mm -hmm. is that Hitchcock was likely impotent for most of his life. Okay. And had an incredible amount of sexual frustration. Okay. And so this began to drive his sexual obsession with women that even if he never acted on the, with affairs, he it didn't stop him from being sexually violent and coercive. 
well, in yeah. ways that are just like incredibly disturbing. What's that saying? Like everything's about sex except except sex. It's about power. S- except sex, which, which is about power. Right. Yes. The, it's all about power. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you're like impotent, not everything is about sex. Everything's about power. Oh, yes. And the, so all of the all of the cruel quote unquote pranks through all of his career start to like become come into focus, right? Okay. So he's had this scene with the mechanical birds where she gets attacked and shattered. He he tells her again he's obsessed with her. She says no, and he's like, okay, okay, fine. The final scene is a bird attack with mechanical birds where she's actually like physically attacked. They're they're not held off by a phone booth or anything, right? They're all around mm-hmm. her. She shows up. They, they rehearse it several times and, like, get all the mechanical bird settings correct. Shows up the morning of, and he's like, oh, so sorry. The mechanical birds uh, broke down, so we're going to use real birds for this. And she's you, like... You can't choreograph what? real birds. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, there's no chore- choreography. It's just like, how are you going to get the birds to attack? He's like, we are going to tie them with rubber bands to you. <gasps> and they're going to they're gonna f- be flung into you as you try to escape. That could really damage both the bird and her. Oh, don't worry. We have plenty of birds. No. Yes. No. This is him. I'm, I'm channeling him for a second. This is what he says. Birds are not expendable. She's surprised. And he's like, oh, yeah. And we're going to film this scene. It's going to take about five days. Five days of bird attacks. Five days of bird attacks. So you and I live in a place where every year there are swarms Hundreds of thousands. Of crows. And that is not an exaggeration, folks. Like, it is like a scene from birds. Every spring, when these crows come back to where we live, and I would say there are no fewer than a few thousand of them within a thousand feet of us. Yeah, they're just all over. All over. Just like, it is chaos and horrifying. It is horrifying. Yeah, I have an an aunt who was attacked by a peacock when she was little and she's scared of like when a bird gets trapped in the mall or an airport (laughs) so like sending her a video of these crows all around us it is like a nightmare and she was attacked by one bird one bird and i love i love it when this happens out on the balcony just checking it out amazing would not like a single one of those fuckers rubber banded to me i'll tell you what (laughs) no not at all Wow. For the first four days, this goes reasonably well. Mm, okay. She's, she's gouged. She's scraped. She's cut. Sure. Um, but Hitchcock isn't satisfied. So oh, on the fifth okay. day, he shortens the rubber bands. And <gasps> while she's filming the scene, he has stagehands throw live birds at her. Oh. Like... And that pisses off the birds who are rubber banded to her. Of course. And so they start to gouge her eyes. No, no, no. And she's like, stop. I can't take this anymore. And Hitchcock is, you have to. And then How the, do they even stop it? It's not like birds here cut and then they stop no, gouging I don't, you. There's got to be a bird wrangler or several. Uh, at some point, the, the physician on the set steps in and is like, are you trying to kill this woman? Because you're going to kill this woman. Stop now. And he shuts down production. Oh, my God. And oh, my God. Yeah, and so then she like needs multiple days, obviously, just to recover from the wounds she has from this. Yes, and can't, can't film if your lead actress has like stitches in her neck. Yes, you may be surprised to find nope. that this did not win her over to him. His obsession did not go away, and she was not convinced to give in to him. But only six more years to go. But only six more years to go on this contract. Oh my god, for real. <laughs> Well, I think it's at this point, it's like more like four and a half. But yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
So the birds, massive success, critically. Yes, yes. And then he's like, guess what? We're doing another movie, Tippy. It's called The Tornadoes, and we're going to tie you to tornadoes. <laughs> it's actually fucking worse than that. What? Okay. Before their next movie, uh-huh. just a, a little side note, mm. uh, Tippy Hedren's daughter has her sixth birthday. Okay. And Hitchcock gets a present custom made for this girl, this little girl. The present is a tiny miniature version of her mom. It's a doll sculpted to look exactly like her mom in the death scene from the birds. So it's a doll of her mom dying. It's like, happy birthday. <laughs> and you just got a, a rep, uh, like a replica at home. <laughs> chilling. Oh, oh, we're going to get there. Oh, my God. Okay. So oh so God. after this birds and after this birthday present, ah. Hitchcock comes back to be Hedron and he's like, hey, you remember that whole rubber band bird thing? <laughs> it's all in the past. Uh, still obsessed with you, but I wrote a new film that is going to be amazing for you. And he's like 60 at this point, right? Oh, yes. And she's like he's 32, 33. Yes, he's 65. She's 32. He said, I, I wrote this this movie called uh, Marnie, and it's about a man who tricks a woman into marrying him, and then he rapes her. Okay. And he's like, you get to be the woman. And she's like, this is really creepy. But she has six years on her contract, and she's making the only money to support herself and her and her elderly parents. So she continues with the contract. He tells her constantly about his obsession. There's a kissing scene that he's written in, and he's, he pulls her aside afterwards and tells her how roused he is. Oh, God. He goes to the set, or sorry, to the costume designers, and, and he says, we're going to need a mask Mm-mm. for this movie. I need you to build an exact replica of her face. I need you to build a mask that looks exactly like her. And they build it, Mm-mm. and he takes it home, and it was never, ever a part of the movie. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, yeah. No, this he, is a real-life horror movie. Yeah. This has gone too far. Shut it down, Alfred. Shut um, it down. When it comes to this culminating scene, mm-hmm. this rape scene, his writing sure. partner and the person who's doing it says, like, look, this this part of the movie doesn't make any sense. He's like, if this man actually like loved this woman in this moment he would be comforting her not raping her mm-hmm. and Hitchcock responds when he sticks it in her I want the camera right on her face and then they do the scene anyway oh my god so she's like actually raped on camera she is acting she is not actually raped on camera okay but acting but she's trying to accordingly. she's essentially acting out what and she admits that everybody around them it was obvious and she knew at the time this was him just like imposing his sexual fantasies on her as through contractual obligations right forcing her to live out vicariously what he wanted yes and just exploiting it she just wrote an autobiography like a couple years ago right yeah and where she shared a lot of these specific details that were not previously known right so these These are 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 her words directly these are the stories i know like, I don't know anything about Hitchcock, the director, or the movies, but I know enough people.com to know that Tippi <laughs> yes. Hedren just released an autobiography detailing some of these things, but not the specifics. As you can imagine, this didn't make for a very good film. No. Uh, people panned it. They were like, this fucking thing sucks. It doesn't make any sense. Sure. Why would you make this? The actual answer being, of course, to live out vicariously my sexual frustrations and rape fantasies. But because he didn't say that, people were just like, makes no sense. So it's like that horrible fucking Marlon Brando butter scene from that 
Parisian movie or oh, whatever. Oh, God, yeah. Wasn't yeah. that Brando? Yes. Yeah. Um, so as this is wrapping up, she still has several more years on her contract. Mm-hmm. And so towards the end of production for this film, he calls her into the office, his office. Okay. And he assaults her. He sexually assaults her a second time. Oh, my God. She doesn't go into a lot of detail in her memoir, but she says that uh, it was sexual, it was perverse, and it was ugly. Uh, sure. And he tells her if she doesn't give in, he will quote, he, he, he says, I will ruin your career. And she doesn't give in. Sure. And he ruins her career. Yes. So the reason Tippi Hedren is not a, a bigger movie star than she is is because he makes good on the promise. Um, yeah. It's like the birds, one and done. Yeah. So after, for for Marnie, they were going to try to s- submit Marnie at least for some awards or something. He blocks it. He shuts it down. Can't. He prevents them from submitting her name for any awards whatsoever. Seems like that's for the best, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like, for anything. He also then trashes her acting to any director and casting agent who will listen all across Hollywood. Of course. He says, you know, don't don't work with her. She's difficult, you know, quote unquote. Like She's the terrible. OG Harvey Weinstein. Exactly, right. He just black blacklists her. And then when, even despite all of this bad-mouthing, Based on her first performance in The Birds, she gets another offer mm. for the movie adaptation of Fahrenheit 451. Okay. Um, his contract with her stipulates that he gets to decide if he releases her to do movies with other people or not, and he just shuts every single offer down. Of He's course. like, no work. Then, for the rest remaining, you know, four years of her contract, he does nothing. He just like sits her on the bench and gives her no work whatsoever. Wow. And so he's he's obligated to pay her, but what he essentially does is he shuts down her career until people aren't interested in working with her anymore. And that is the end of her work in Hollywood. I mean, that is literally what Harvey Weinstein did to so many women. Yes. If like Ashley Judd, all those all those folks. Yeah, if you don't give in to my sexual advances, I will end your career. And yeah. he did. So he he was the original Harvey Weinstein. Uh, the daughter Remember the daughter from earlier? I do recall. The one with the dead mom doll. Yeah. So that daughter turned out to be Melanie Griffith. I do know that. And uh, recently, when asked about Alfred Hitchcock, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew him very well. He's a motherfucker. You can quote me on that. Yeah. Melanie Griffith didn't really have the most stable childhood, to be honest. (laughs) No, she did not. Her daughter's Dakota Johnson. Ah, interesting. Big full circle. There's a lot going on. This period of using his films just to sexually torment his objects of his obsession, begins to mark the decline of Hitchcock's professional career. He makes more movies, but none are as acclaimed as anything he's done before this. Good. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. At this point, he's, what, 70? Yeah. 65, 67, 68. He -hmm. he keeps making movies well into his later years, but they aren't good. Yeah, again, good. One of the most notable things to happen to him during this time period is that he is permanently and perpetually banned from Disneyland (laughs) for being the quote-unquote psychopath who wrote Psycho, according to Walt Disney. Okay, so if Disney has standards, (laughs) holy shit. Yeah. Disney, yeah, at some point Hitchcock actually asked Walt Disney for permission to film inside of Disneyland. I'm sure Walt Disney was like... Absolutely the fuck not. Right. (laughs) Unless you're going to be more racist and more (laughs) anti-Semitic. Oh, gosh. Okay. Wow. Yeah. He had won his Oscar 
earlier in his career in 1940 mm-hmm. for Rebecca, but we're now in like the late 60s. Yes. And he's been nominated five times for Best Director and lost every single time. Wow. Uh, and so he's pretty salty about it. Eventually, in this like later twilight of his career, they give him a memorial honorary Oscar. It's a memorial award for the uh, you know lifetime achievement type thing. Mm. Uh, he gives one of the shortest ever acceptance speeches. He's just like, because it's honorary, he's kind of pissed that he didn't actually ever win a real one. So he's like, sure. thanks, thanks very much. And yeah. like walks off the stage. <laughs> For sale, baby she's never won. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> the yeah. End. So he is, his health is failing. He's knighted uh, to Ugh. become Sir Alfred Hitchcock. But that is four months before he dies. He dies of liver failure, April 29th, 1980. Okay, so he lives a while, 81 years. Yeah, and he goes down as being an innovator in the cinematic form, mm-hmm. kind of a turning point in both the battle against censorship and artistic representations of violence for his work in Psycho. I mean, so is Hugh Hefner for sex, but sure. doesn't doesn't make you a hero. No, groundbreaking in many ways, but definitely Oof. not my hero. Not my hero either. Although he is the second Alfred we featured in the last three episodes. Oh, who's going to be the third? <laughs> I know, yeah, the, the Alfred Stay tuned. <laughs> I can't think of another Alfred. Yeah, I'm racking my brain. I literally cannot think of one. <laughs> yeah, we've got Nobel, Hitchcock. Let us know if you know of a third Alfred. Yeah, yeah if people know of a third Alfred that they'd like us to do, how can they get in touch? They can find us on social media, preferably at Your Heroes Pod on Twitter or Instagram. We're there often. Yes. And please rate and review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference. And if you send us screenshots of review, we're happy to mail you stickers. And one final quick reminder, if you haven't already... Now is the perfect time to take 45 seconds and go vote for us on Discover Pod's Best of 2020 podcast. Yes, if you you weren't doing it while you were listening, please go do it now. Yeah, please. That would be fantastic. And until next week. Don't be a hero. Do not be a hero. Bye.